Welcome to the Business Done Differently podcast, where we believe whatever is normal, do the exact opposite. And that standing out is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Jesse Cole, and it's showtime. Today's guest is Jim Gilmore. He wrote the book on customer experience, literally. He and his co-author, Joseph Pine, changed the game 20 years ago when they first wrote The Experience Economy. In December 2019, they released a new edition after working with hundreds of companies over the past two decades. His philosophies have inspired me and our team and millions more. So, Jim, I am absolutely thrilled to welcome you to the show today. Well, thanks for having me. You know, we were able to chat a couple months ago and just so many similar ties that we have in looking at business as theater and every business as a stage. I'd love to know, I didn't get really much of your background on how did you get into this and this mindset? Because very few people, especially 20 years ago, Jim, were thinking about work as theater and work as show business. Yeah, sure. I'll do a brief resume to get you to the point. I began my career with Procter & Gamble and all things what would now be called logistics. And after half a dozen years, went into consulting. I was contacted by a small boutique supply chain consultancy called Cleveland Consulting Associates. They were acquired by CSC Consulting, and I became head of the process innovation practice, so not innovation on physical things, and I've never had small motor skills or capabilities in that regard, but more how do you be innovative about how work is done. Hmm. In the process of doing that, came across the term mass customization and started using that term, and one day I was at the Barnes & Noble bookstore, I'll never forget, Mayfield Road in Mayfield Heights, this book called Mass Customization, written by B. Joseph Pine II. So I wrote him a quick three-sentence letter and closed my first ever speaker's demo tape, which was on Aaron the Shoeshine Man, what every business can learn from one man's shoeshine stand. And Joe called me one day, and we got together. We hit it off. I retained him to work for my practice. And eventually, we, our collaboration was going so well, we decided to start our own firm. And experience economy grew out of mass customization. Mm. Joe, for years, is fond of saying that if you customize a good, you automatically turn that good into a service. Mm. So Dell computer, before they lost their way anyway, Dell would not make computers in place of an inventory, wait for somebody to buy it at CompUSA. Instead, they would only make computers in response to actual orders. They were a computer-making service. So we advocated customizing service, and one day at, I think, an executive education session, fielded the question, well, what happens if you customize a service? To which Joe just responded viscerally, like, will you turn it into an experience? Yet he called me said, guess what I said today? And then the big idea is the notion of experiences are a distinct form of economic output. What do I mean for that? Well, the idea is business cannot just charge for a physical good. Savannah Bananas t-shirt or a pack of baseball cards, not just charge for the service, you know, the food concessions, making a hamburger, fries for you, but also charge for the experience to enter to spend time in a place or event. So that was the big idea. Obviously, we thought of Disney and theme parks and movies, but once we got this idea that you stage an experience, that the time that people spend is different than the activities that the, that the business performs, that was the big idea, and that's how it originated. And it's fascinating because as we've seen in working with companies, I mean, every Every company is in the experience business. Every company, I believe, is in the entertainment business. And you mentioned it briefly, the shoe shiner, and you referenced a little bit in the experience economy, but you did write a whole book on it. You got to share the story, the shoe shiner, because I'm so fascinated by how it all came about, what he was doing. Yeah, very good. Careful reader of the book, because he's really mentioned in a short passage. Aaron Davis, former heavyweight boxer, and for years I was flying from Cleveland to Kalamazoo, doing work with Whirlpool Corporation and Kellogg's. So going to Benton Harbor and Battle Creek by way of Kalamazoo. 
and every week fly in Monday, come back Friday kind of thing. Every week coming back to the airport, you know, it was a shoe shine stand. Aaron and got to know him and get our shoe shine every week. And one week we were running late. We had a late departure from the client. So we ran by him and, and say, hey, we have no time today, Aaron. We've got to catch our flight. Zoom by, go through security, catch a flight home. And the very next week, I'm getting a shoe shine from Aaron again. And peering around the corner was this young man, maybe, you know, maybe college age, and he's looking it over. And Aaron's like, can I help you? He says, yeah, well, how much is a shine? Aaron says, $3. And you know, I would always tip Aaron two bucks and get five out of it, you know, different price point back then. And this, I could see this kid just like, you know, playing it over, like considering, should I do it? Should I not do it? And I just leaned forward and said, young man, I just pointed to him. I said, best three bucks you'll ever spend. <laughs> and so he hangs around and, and I get down and he gets up and I reach to my wallet to pay Aaron. And Aaron puts his hand out and he goes, this one's on me. <laughs> so basically I had sold his next customer. And so therefore this one was on me, almost like a pay it forward kind of thing. So the notion is he was so good at, at everything he did that again, you tell him, I didn't even take my project team. I tell everybody, hey, you got to get your shoe shine with Aaron. He read Zig Ziglar and he had business wisdom. And interestingly, shoe shine is like ancient foot washing. I mean, every executive, every company that goes to that airport knows Aaron, gets a shoe shine. He's, he's actually a hub of intelligence. I asked people, who's the last person to pull up your socks? Well, at the very end of the shoe shine, he would, he would pull up your socks, very intimate. If he had a loose, I love this one, if he had a loose thread on a stitch, out came this Bic lighter and he'd burn it off. Repertoire of these different bits and routines that he would do. So it wasn't just the service getting your shoe shine. The time with him was unlike the experience I've had with any other shoe shine stand. Now, you described him as a showman in the book. So, like, obviously, the bringing the fire out, you know, or some other yeah, the, the snap of the cloth, yeah, even, you know, the bicks coming out of his pocket, just just quick and then it's, then it's over. Snap of the cloth, the way he'd tap your shoes. And, you know, just had a way about him that he knew that we write in the book that anytime you perform work before the eyes of someone else, you're on stage. It's theater. Whether you recognize it or not, whether you do anything about it, people watch your work. It's an act of theater. And whether you even call it that or not, it doesn't matter. But he had an awareness of it. He wasn't just washing the shoes, but other people were watching him shine the shoes. And the fact, the experience was the marketing. Mm. Being the way he went about it, you know, was eye candy, right? But you go check it out. Wonderful, more than a metaphor, an actual exemplar of, of understanding that you, an experience is a natural extension of a service. The service is the shoe shine and all the things that Aaron does. But the experience is the time that people spent with Aaron. Your listeners, the experience is not yours. The experience is your customer's time. You may do various activities and you may have a sense of showmanship, but recognize that their time is different than your activity. And what they value is their time. Yeah, it's so good, Jim, because I think, you know, all you talk about, it's all theater and it's all performance. And we look at like turning every work into a performance in, you know, in our games, it's very intentional why we have our players go into the crowd and do the conga line or why they all go deliver roses to little girls or when I'm in there throwing bananas in people's pants. We know it's not just <laughs> for the people. Oh yeah, I mean, we do banana in the pants and I throw them from all different parts of the stadium. It's not just for the people that are in the act. Or the people that are getting the flowers. It's everyone else watching and saying like, wow, these guys actually care so much about the experience and they feel a part of it. And I think that's such a great point when you're putting on a performance and you're taking care of one person, being aware that you're not just impacting that one person. Yeah, what it demonstrates is you have an awareness. Just doing a few, I often tell people, just do five things that you're aware of how you're doing it. Service is what you do. Experience is how you do it, right? How do you do the conga line? You know, give out a hot dog. How do you do the bananas? It's just that uh, bananas is both what and how. 
it just demonstrates you're not just going through the motion. Like I like to point people to the the scene in, in Walk the Line, the, the Walking Phoenix uh, playing Johnny Cash, where he finally gets time into the studio and he sings a little gospel ditty and Sam Phillips cuts him off the, the studio. Man, he says, you know, enough, enough. He goes, you didn't bring it home. And he's like, Johnny Cash, what do you mean I didn't bring it home? He says, well, same old song I've heard a hundred times before, just like how you sang it. Again, right? Going to, going to the same old thing over and over again, it's refreshing. Yes. See you doing things differently than someplace else. And it creates the desire to tell other thing, other other people about it. Hey, you need to go see the bananas. Yeah. I, I love this too. I love, love the examples you give a lot in the book. And you know, you're turning this work into a performance. Talk about obviously Pike's Fish Market, which I talked about in my book, and obviously they're making it a performance, but even just tossing pizza dough at a pizza restaurant. What other examples? Because I think so many people they have those frontline employees. And what are those things that you've seen companies can, hey, turn it into a little bit of a performance where it's not just the same old, same old, same old. Yeah, and, and it is theater. It's just often it's just not done consciously, not done well. I don't even know if you need to necessarily even tell employees it's performance or it's theater, but usually, because sometimes that'll frighten some people off. <laughs> You're very much a public mass kind of event. There are other situations, a bank teller, convenience store person, where you don't necessarily have to be as flamboyant about it. But sometimes I soften and say, look, don't just focus on what you do. We don't just train you on what you do, but you know, here's how you do it. How do you greet people? You know, you're a store, retail sales associate. Can I help you? Well, the automatic response is, no, I'm just looking. I mean, it happens mm-hmm. over and over again. No, think about your first line. How do you greet people? I remember a concession stand at a Cedar Lee Theater. They do like the artsy movies here in, outside of Cleveland, Ohio, where I live. And the first one was the refreshment stand. They actually had a big sign over there, refreshments. I like the place because they serve beer at the, at the cinema. <laughs> one time he spun around and he, his opening line was, who's next to be refreshed? Hmm. At refreshment. You know, it's his own little shtick. Because he had an employer that didn't say, here's the one thing you say all the time, but gave him some license to, to say different things. You know, other examples, you know, it starts with even bringing employees on board, onboarding. I say, you know, don't just interview people. That's a conversation about past performance. Rather, could you audition people? Could you give them some activity to perform that's much more insightful about how they actually behave? Mm. On a large scale, MGM Grand out in Vegas, they audition all their hourly workers, cocktail waitresses, bell staff, et cetera. They bring them in 30 at a time, three groups of 10. Within each group of 10, they pair up in twos. And they say, but first we're going to teach a dance move. Teach them a dance move. You know, they put on the boom box. Then they say, okay, interview the other person, and we're going to introduce each other. So they introduce each other two by two, and they could care less how well you introduce the other person because they're hiring people for non-speaking roles. What they care about is were you listening to all the other introductions? Mm. were you enthusiastic or hesitant to do the dance move they've identified the particular behaviors again that's auditioning yes i don't like to call it a uniform i like it's costume we recognize that what people wear is not only seen by customers people wear influences how they behave right barbara stevens the founder say not a gimmick you know it's our costuming you know it winks towards law enforcement but it's a serious business we're fixing computers but Mm. when you outfit when you put that geek squad white shirt black shoes black clip on tie, you're getting into your role. Jim, I love this so much because, you know, I think about our ticket takers, all of our ticket takers are in banana costumes. And right when the gates are open, we all go peel up and all of a sudden they pull their peel up over their head. And that right. means for them, it's showtime and it's, it gets right. so in the element. And I think open, well, that, that's a line within themselves. By the way, there's all kinds of team building exercises, little short little improv things that can make the group be an ensemble. So again, we, in the book, we use the words of it, Peter, 
don't necessarily have to use those same words. The key is you have some kind of exercise for your team to do ahead of time, some kind of thing that gets them to be a group, to have some sense of cohesion, not just, hey, go to your stations. Let's dive into that. You know, we have an improv background and we've started thinking about this. We have actually pep rallies before our games where we get everyone together, and but not as necessarily these exercises. I'd love to know, are there certain exercises? I mean, obviously the MGM one is a great example, but that's more in the hiring. Are there any other exercises? Sure. Well, here's an everyday thing. I got a, I got a client that eating management business and they have a people, basically they run large conferences or, you know, Salesforce meetings. They'll take care of everything. And they, you know, so they'll send a, a team in, a SWAT team in to handle all the hotel registrations, the transportation, the room drops and a registration, all these kind of things. The team goes in. So I told him about this improv technique, very simple, of Peter Brooks. Peter Brooks wrote a book called Empty Stage. I'll loop back and talk about it perhaps a little later. He says, here's the number one improv technique he thinks everybody should do first. Get your small group together, four, five, six people. Go around in a circle and say the line, to be or not to be, one word at a time in a circle. A two, I say B, next person one. And this makes you go around, it makes you listen. Makes you go, and then you try to go faster and faster and faster. Then you bring an intention, like say to be or not to be, to express rage in the universe. And now you will say the line differently. But the key is just, just going around a circle and saying some sentence one word at a time. Okay. That's enough. You can do that for just three or four minutes. And again, that alone creates a sense of, of an ensemble of a team versus, again, go to your station. I suggested this to the, my client. And now before the conference begins, they do that. And I bet you it feels cheesy at first, but when people start owning it, what it does is it creates laughter. And I think laughter, as I've seen with a lot of improv, and we actually did a little of this before we had our Pilgrim game, where we actually had our fans play a whole Pilgrim game on Thanksgiving, a whole other story. But they were doing it, everyone felt really uncomfortable in the beginning, and then they started laughing. And when you get laughing, then you start getting into it. And I'm sure a lot of these exercises, people on the outside may be like, should we really do this? But once you get doing, you get more comfortable. Yeah, again, recognize work is theater. You know, there's, there's a difference between theater and being theatrical, mm. right? Some theater is more theatrical. Some of it can be very serious. Again, how you take, how a person takes, a bellman takes their luggage at a store, how you greet people when they get to the counter, you know, how you do certain things matter. In fact, I just read an article in Wall Street Journal that talked about how bad impressions count much more than good impressions. It taints the entire interaction the rest of the way. So, you got to think about how, how are you starting this thing? What are the first things you say? One thing all the time or a variety of things? Are you observing behavior and responding to the behavior? And your business, people wear things coming out. Are they wearing yellow or not? You can comment on just what people's attire. Yes, that's the easy one. If yeah, if they're wearing gear, they're ready to go. I mean, they have tattoos going, whatever it is. You know, get, I think- get, the, get the banter going. So again, there's different ways. But again, bigger picture is be aware of how the experience is beginning. Right? Yes. Well, how are you welcoming people? I usually pick on hospitals. They welcome people by having a waiting room. Look, <laughs> is awful. Right? Come and wait as step one. What? It should be a welcoming experience. Yes. You know, for some health thing in your life, and, and you got to like, here's a clipboard, fill out information, and wait. <laughs> it's a bad first impression. Well, you say, you call it setting the stage a lot. You know, talking about language, the Rainforest Cafe, your adventure is about to begin. And I love that. I love like some other, you know, obviously I know Moe's Cafe is known, welcome to Moe's. And literally you're just saying welcome to your establishment, but the way they say it. What other openings have you seen or heard that's pretty unique and that maybe carries on, gets a little, gets contagious? Well, that's good. Little openings. Well, we have a mutual friend, John DeJulius, who tells the story of Joanne Fabrics. Instead of people walking in, you know, it's a craft store. People aren't familiar. Instead of walking, can I help you? They say, what are you working on? What's your project? Mm. Everybody shows up, he's got a project, and they want to talk. Can I help you? Well, I'm just looking. Hey, what are you working on? What's your project? They're going to tell you. 
Apple stores, I think, do a very good job as well. Hey, why'd you come in today to strike up some conversations? It's not just what you say, it's what you do. I know Chick-fil-A, whom I've worked with, I don't think yeah. it's way anything proprietary. They have certain categories of people that if they see coming in, people in wheelchairs, moms with young children, elderly, any employees free to like go open that door. Mm. Have your way to help them. Again, it's not so much what you say in that case, it's what you do. Mm. Somebody needs assistance, do you get up and help them? Those kinds of things. I mean, eye contact, Marriott has a thing they call 60-30-10, that you try to make eye contact at 60 feet. If the person resists, you try to make contact at 30 feet. They resist, you try to make contact at 10 feet. They resist, you don't say anything, right? They clearly don't want to talk to you. Eye contact, again, that's a welcoming thing. That's a particular technique. Mm. You don't necessarily even call a theater, but you can tell workers, here, here's something that might work for you because we'd like you to... I told companies just count how many people have green eyes today, retailers, I told this. It's so obvious, you know, I think John DeJulius, who's obviously a good friend of ours, we both had his, his conference and, you know, he talks about beating the greed and, you know, I think that's a great, can you be the first one to greet them instead of wait to be greeted? So many people have to, don't even get to the, can I help you? Because someone's already trying to get help. But I think there's so much here and I think it can be very daunting to a lot. Obviously, you know, we've been in it for a while and, and constantly trying to get better and learn every day, but where do you start with companies? If you're working with a company, you get with them and what's the starting point? Like, where can they make this happen? Yeah, this is not just work as theater, but also for, you talk about theming the book. We have our four realms of engaging experience. A good place to start is with your own employees. But rather, before you do something with customer facing, where you know, more is on the line, you got to get it right. When I do go through my theming methodology, which is a one or two day workshop, uh, I followed up with clients who I said, you know, what are you applying this to? Because don't do the whole business, just do a place within the place. They go, you know, we decided to do the break rooms for employees. A lot of times back of the house is crummy space. So what do you mean? They theme them out? Yeah, yeah, do a theme. You know, again, it doesn't have to be over the top. But yeah, let's have an organizing principle for the lunchroom, for the break room. Interview employees, what, what would they want in here? So again, you make a better experience for your employees. Not only will they in turn probably have better interaction with customers, but you can practice different techniques that you do with customers, but practice them. You know, your internal operations is a laboratory, is a, is a dress rehearsal to learn things you might do elsewhere. I also encourage people, don't pick non-critical things first. Take some part of the business, some place inside the place, some process, something that's seemingly mundane, doesn't matter, probably doesn't matter, but you make something like that distinctive. I've got a couple of clients like, that have themed their parking lots. Like what? You know, you know retail stores. Yeah, they got phrases on the, on the lines. They've got signs up for you know, this spot reserved for that got a little bit of humor, like you say. So apply some of the principles that are in the experience economy to your parking lot if you have a parking lot. You know, it's low, it's low, low cost, low risk. Those kinds of things. I tell people, I'm about learning tools. Yes. Learn the tool first. Equip your employees with different tools, 60, 30, 10, or different theming methodology. And then, because that's more powerful. And the employees will identify the areas of your business. And that way you get buy-in, you know, from on high. This is how we're going to do things. Anytime you can get participation in developing the better experience with your employees, I think you're better off. Yeah, you know, I think that would turn the mundane to memorable. And we, you know, turn the required to remarkable, turn the boring to fun. We, we have all these sayings and you can look at all those elements, whether it's your- Yeah, I like talking about neglected spaces, right? Yes. Uh, you know, I teach a design innovation course at, at Case Western, like the area under the sink in a home, neglected yes. elevators and hotels. Yes. And space. We haven't thought intentionally about how can we turn this place. You know, Conrad Hilton, founder of Hilton, talked about that every square inch of the hotel should be revenue generated should be thought about intentionally about what happens here. Mm. It's a good aspiration. 
I think it's so important. And, you know, and you can always continue to evolve on those. You know, for instance, this happened today, Jim. This is so we call and thank our fans who buy tickets and just a thank you call or they buy merchandise. And we had an intern start today. And I go, what ideas would you have? And and he's like, well, I love the thank you call, but could we make it more fun? And I go, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, what if we do a rap? Could we do a rap? And, he, and I said, yeah. And he said, okay, cool. I go, by the end of the day, you'll do a rap. He goes, what? He goes, well, why don't we, it's an idea. You like it? He said, yeah. And so by the end of the day, today, it's it, this afternoon, he's planning to do a rap and call a few fans and rap it. Now, it doesn't have to be an unbelievable rap, but it's a different way. It's taking a thank you call and turning a different way. And I think it's empowering your people to be okay with, it doesn't have to be perfect. I'm sure that's a big thing working with the companies that you do. It's like, hey, we don't need to nail it. Just start treating it as theater, fun, and different. And also, you know, talking in, t- in terms of any new employee reminds me of Joel Barker, who popularized the business paradigms video ages ago, decades ago. He used to always say, get your top 10 problems you have no idea how to solve, or just the 10 areas you'd like to be a better experience. Mm-hmm. Give your new employees as if they're like this routine orientation and training and see what they come up with. They don't know your rules yet. Yes. Your paradigms, they'll come up with, with stuff. And I just love that that exercise. You'll ask them one time in a workshop, I do this thing called ing the thing, which is think in terms of ing words. In English, the words we use for experiences end in ing. Think in terms of ing. And the group I was with, they, the first break, I had gone through the ing the thing technique and so forth. And the meeting organizer said, Jim, we forgot to do introductions. You know, I wouldn't do introductions. I'm like, well, it's a little anticlimactic now, like we've already started. I said, leave it to me. Trust me. So what I did is I had every table, five people at the table. I said, look, we just got done with ing the thing, experientializing any, anything or time. Let's ing the introductions. We saved. I didn't like, we messed up. Let's do introductions. <laughs> now that we've done that technique, let's go around the table. And I'm going to give you three minutes to come up with an ing. One table came up with a cheer. Another thing went around one word at a time. Another group basically introduced each other in pairs. I mean, they came up with the ideas. Again, to your point, there's no there's necessarily one way to do any task. You're doing a great thing thanking people, but you want to ask, how should we thank people on that call? The how is the performance. The how is the theater. The how is the experience. And that's what people will remember most is how you did it. The how is everything. So I love that. So what is, like, they ing the intros. What does that mean exactly? Yeah, well, uh, this, we were writing the book, and I came across this book by Peter Gutman, now a friend, world-class photojournalist. He came across this book published by Photos, the travel people, called Adventures to Imagine, Thrilling Escapes in North America. And I opened up the table of contents and every single word started with ING, hot air ballooning, race car driving, climbing, splunking, well kissing, llama trekking. It was all ING words, civil war reenacting. And it just dawned on me that in English, the words we use for experiences. So we call it the first principle of experience thinking, which is to think in terms of ING words. It's not a ticket. That's the thing. It's ticketing, right? It's not a baseball. It's baseballing or throwing, catching. Right? So think about your business and all your activities in ING words. So is, is it waiting in the hospital or is it welcoming? What are your set of ING words? Because those ING words, will a collection of ING words will be your experience. Because, you know, skiing, hiking, camping, all experiences end in ING. They're gerunds. And so that's the first person. If you make wastebaskets, the wastebasket, think about wastebasketing. <laughs> you know, even just throwing garbage, you know, throwing in trash. One technique is think about all the ING words that are already associated with the thing or your business, then make up some new ones. I love this. Give you two examples. Uh, one already existing, Simon and Sons piano, right? The obvious ING word that already exists for a piano, piano playing. Well, they will do it, oh, existing words. No big deal, not breakthrough word, but 
a recognition that, hey, there's a very key word associated with piano. How can we have a piano playing experience? So during promotional periods, what they've done in the past is you buy their high-end piano, like six-figure piano, you'll get with that piano purchase a piano playing experience. So here the, you could have 12 couples come to your home for a piano playing experience. They'll sit out the, the inviting. They'll sit out the invitations. The valet parking, Steinway says to take care of. The catering they'll do. The welcoming they'll do. And the person who told me about this said, because of the, the piano playing experience at his home, which came bundled with the buying the piano, two other couples decided to buy a piano. <laughs> they took the obvious but neglected ING word and made it an experience that grew their business. For making up new words, I like to use iconically the gumball machines with the gumball spirals, gumball spiraling. <laughs> Not just dispensing the gumball, it's gumball spiraling, watching it go around and around and around. It's not a better delivery service. It's about a gumball spiraling experience. So it's the technique, one technique for eating the thing is identify the ING words that are already in your vocabulary, in your business, and ask yourself which one or two of them is being neglected that you ought to think more intentionally about. But conversely, can you make up um, some new? I'll give you an example of make up new one. You could even maybe apply this in your business for some of your people who buy tickets, you know, buy a full season, for example. Eating the thing in a workshop for Association Forum of Chicagoland. So basically all the associations in Chicago, there, a lot of them are based in Oak Brook. So I did Ing the Thing and I got a phone call from some staff person from one organization saying, hey, Jim, I want to tell you what I did with Ing the Thing. I'm like, man, tell me. So well, I'm in charge of the annual like membership campaign. We know all the organizations that haven't joined. For 20 years, we've mailed them a letter. Will you join? Here's the benefits, bullet points, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. Blah, 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 blah. Three people sign up. So it obviously doesn't work. So I decided to turn it into experience. So she got the executive director to go out and do a, she made a hundred bobbleheads of a Gary LeBranch, the executive director. Then she went around landmarks in Chicago, Soldier Field, Water Tower Place, so forth. Did a photo shoot of the bobblehead. And then she mailed a care and nurturing kit, bobblehead, application forms, set up postcards from the photograph to her raving fans, to her best members, and said, look, give these away this year as you meet people. <laughs> she, called it, she called it bobble buzzing because she just mailed these bobbleheads of the executive director and bobble buzzing. And oh, wow. Calculate the lifetime value of all those memberships. And so, again, look at the things you're doing. Can you turn them into, into an experience? I absolutely love it. You know, you made me immediately start thinking about, you know, how we throw out trash. And I think that's, you know, at the ballpark and how we serve. And, you know, again, it's just, I think the key, and I'm hearing this working with frontline employees, frontline team members, and we talked about this briefly in our call before, you know, we have 200 game day staff members. A lot of companies have a certain amount of part-time. How do you get the buy-in? Because I think, how do you get, you know, it can't be like, hey, I want you to do a dance when you do this. I want you to sing through this. How do you get them to feel like it's their own idea and they can own it? Have you any examples well, of companies that have well, done this? Hard back to make sure you practice what you preach, make the experience for them as good as, it's hard to get them to do it, get people to do anything if you're not having a good, good employee experience. This is the, the idea of directing. I don't, even though I teach a management course, I actually like the word directing more than managing. It's more of a theater term. A director's chair is iconic for directing. That's why it's called a director's chair. It's why it's designed the way it is. It's both elevated, so it's authoritative, and yet it's seated, which is conversational. A good director knows when to say, do it this way, and knows when to say, you know, I don't think it's working. How do you think we ought to do? So I think with employees, there are times where you say, look, do it this way. But hopefully you've gained the trust and the, the right to do that. 
because on enough other occasions you said, you know, this is not working. What are your ideas? How can we do this? And how things are done. And, and sometimes I think, you know, here's your opening. Let's go back to the opening line. Here's your opening line. This is what we want you to say. You know, that could work. But you could also do like, you know, what are the, let's come up together with a set of lines we could say. Or let's come up with a new line every day. Try different things. Tell us what works. Mm. Work, get people to participate in it. And you could bite. You'll know whether you have buy-in if they participate. Yes. There's what I call the false consensus. You have the meeting and all the employees nod their head. Yep, we'll do a boss. Yep, we'll do a boss. As soon as they get out of the room, they say, there's no way I'm doing that. <laughs> so you get the buy-in early by having them participate. Yes. And also know your employees. Don't make them wear something they don't want to wear. The Geek Squad works because Robert Stevens himself is a geek. He loves computers. He knows that geeks don't care about what they wear. It's just fine. Give me the shirt, pants. I want to go. Rock and roll. Great. I wear the same thing every day. Love it. Other jobs, that's not the thing to do. No, it feels uncomfortable for them. You don't want to turn costuming into the, the equivalent of office space, the movie of like 100 pieces of flair. <laughs> Where it's forced on people, you know, you're not wearing enough flair. If it's employee-owned, what's your ensemble want to do? There are times when you say do it this way, but that's usually earned by having collaborated with workers on other things. Yeah, you know, we did this last year with our usher-tainers. We said, hey, you guys can come. We want it fun. Whatever you feel is a good fit. And we had one that dressed up in a yellow leotard tutu, another one that had big yellow gloves, earmuffs, and it was their decision. And I think maybe a little bit more guidance, say, hey, your position is fun to greet, and you put that entertaining into it. And they took ownership. And did they have all the same costumes? No, but they owned who they were, and it was pretty so fun. That, that comes back to onboarding and even auditioning. Tell me about the time you wore some funny clothes. No, hey, go wear something. You know, If you're looking for the usher-tainer, hey, we want you to wear something or, hey, go dress this mannequin or, you know, see if they're willing, check for willingness to do it because some people will never do it. So part of that's the, the talents and the mindset of even who you're hiring. I think the onboarding process, the experience of how people join your organization can assist because you're welcoming them to your culture. Can we put, I mean, there's a role for traditional training. Chick-fil-A a client has a wonderful video. I think it's even up on YouTube called Everyone Has a Story. Yes, beautiful. They have a camera behind the counter and just, Pointing at the front door, different people walk in, and every person that walks in, some text rolls up on the screen. Son to Afghanistan. I love it. Rolls just lost his wife to cancer. It rolls up, everybody has a story. Simple. I mean, it just tells me, look, we're not just serving chicken sandwiches. We're serving people. Yeah, human connection. Feel it in a Chick-fil-A versus most fast food. 100%. Um, It can be done through traditional means as well. But, you know, that director's role is important. You know, it's the people... You know, that first level of quote-unquote management, do they know, do they gain enough rapport to direct? Times of the essence, we're doing it this way. Or when you got plenty of time to say, like, you know, that didn't work out. Got some suggestions on how we do this? Yes, exactly. I think we're going to get some director chairs. I think we need to get them out here. I think that only makes sense. Yeah, again, what color should they be? You can pick yellow, but you can have people, director's chairs are cheap, by the way. Yeah, it's a good prop. We'll get it. Hey, a question, Jim, I get asked a lot, you know, after any speech, hey, how do you guys come up with all your ideas? And I'd love to hear what you're seeing. Like, how do you advise companies or what are you hearing on how they're coming up with these ideas? Is there a starting yeah, well, point for it? Yeah, well, talking mainly about our book, The Experience Economy, but my most recent book is actually on observation. It's called Look, Practical Guide for Improving Your Observational Skills. And I'm fine with saying that, that all ideation begins with, with observation. Mm. And I think everyday life creates opportunities to just less eyeball time on the screen. Mm. Smartphones are wonderful device, amazing things you can access, but anything you access on that smartphone is derivative, not direct. What are happening in your everyday life? And 
I got this from Edward DeBono, my favorite creativity guru. Treat everything that occurs in your life as an arising provocation, as stimuli. So DeBono says, so here's step one to be more creative. And this is all Edward DeBono, and I, I teach on this too. What are your top 10 things you want new ideas about? You got to know what you want ideas about, step one. Mm. I turn that into my number one rule of creativity is the easiest way to come up with a new idea is to think about something no one has ever thought about before. <laughs> and then, simple thing, everything you come across in life every day is a chance to use a steam light on one of you, say, oh, suggest something to me that I could do for my number three thing I want ideas about. I'll tell you a real world application. Robert Stevens, Geek Squad founder, mentioned him earlier, mm -hmm. a story of he was on vacation, not working. One morning went to the balcony overlooking the beach and he saw you know, a tractor with a little roller driving down the beach early in the morning, just basically smoothing it out. But he noticed that Coppertone had evidently paid to have a reversed out image of their logo, Coppertone, on the roller, so that every 10 feet or so, the Coppertone logo would be imprinted in the sand. Mm. A rising provocation. He goes, he was always looking for new ideas on costume. He goes, I'm gonna have company issue Geek Squad special agent shoes. My, my agents take about 10,000 feet a day. If they step in snow or mud, they'll leave the Geek Squad logo on the ground. No one's thought about what, what do the bottom of my worker's shoes look like? Mm. And so my book on observations, basically it's my hero ever developed has a tool called Six Thinking Hats, metaphor for six different ways to think. I've got a tool called Six Looking Glasses, six different metaphorical glasses to put on so you can see things more richly in your everyday life. You can also be more intentional. Take your team, do what I call a looking excursion. I had a retailer that I said, let's get some ideas about roofs. Nobody does roofs well in stores. Very few stores do roofs very well. Ceilings, excuse me, not roofs, ceilings. Yes. Vegas, all we looked at was ceilings because Vegas gets ceilings. We just looked at the innovative. So you can go on little excursions and get ideas from what other people. I like to tour Soho in New York because there's all boutique stores. You see a million different ways people have decorated the store, what kind of font they use. and It's there every day. You know, DeBono has other, other techniques like just grab a random word. You need to have stimuli or provocations for your mind against specific things you want ideas about. And a lot of companies, they don't even know what they want ideas about. Yeah, yeah, they, don't, they have no idea what they're trying to do, yeah. You know you want ideas about ushers, you're calling them usher tenors. You know what you want ideas about in between innings. You know you want ideas about how you welcome people in the ballpark. Yes. And once you have your list of things, your targets, then it's easier to come up with ideas. I love it. Jim, I had a note here, and as I was saying, the College of Extraordinary Experiences, you mentioned it briefly. I dove in a little bit. It's an amazing name, but I think you talk about how people become active. So I want to switch gears like a little bit on the College of Extraordinary Experiences. Can you share a little bit about what they're doing that's uh, very... Well, that's just, that's just uh, people can just go, go to the website. I believe that's a business platform, B2B experiences done in, in very different ways. The theme is, you know, it's not a conference, it's a college. It's, you know, it's got, you know, the trappings of, you know, it's got more of an educational emphasis. But yeah, one of the things in the preface is we rattle off all kinds of Example, some of which we're going to link to describe, but you know, there's the ice cream museum. It's not really a museum. Go Google Meow Wolf down in New Mexico and then also go into California, I think. I mean, Meow Wolf, I don't even know what to call it. <laughs> World experience. Well, yeah, the other thing is, short experiences, it's a whole genre. I like to tell people just look at what's happening with rooms, escape rooms, rage rooms where you smash things, salt rooms where you mindfulness things, uh, board game rooms. There's all kinds of innovation of people using space differently. In the case of College of Extraordinary Experiences, it's just saying, look, we can have the portfolio of events that we put on 
first of all, we're going to call them extraordinary experiences. So we have to make them so. So the, the way we, we put on the show, if you will, is different than just round up the usual suspects. Yeah. I love the spaces. I think that's a huge takeaway. Look at the spaces as a place to ING, to ING something, to add, add a unique area. You know, but I think one of the big things there is it's resources. I think a lot of challenges that I know companies we talk to, it's like, well, what about the resources to put this on? There are ways to create these amazing experiences without resources. And I love well, that's, the human, that's the human aspect. Number one, an idea is free to start things off. And the, the thing about the, I mean, we'll figure out environment design and the set, that's going to happen. That's why the human side is so important. But having your workers behave differently, different memorable experiences, that costs you nothing incrementally. Some training days, maybe some off time, but that's just do your work differently and make it memorable. You don't even have to change the, the chairs and the seating and the posters or whatever. And again, you got to do math. I mean, if you do make investments in things, you know, make sure there's a return. And that's one of the things we do in the new preface is talk about time as the currency of experience. Start Start measuring what, how much time you're capturing out of people's days. Are they spending more time with you? And are you increasingly charging for that time? There's many companies who offer great experiences, time with them. They don't charge for it, but they hope that experience helps themselves to good in services. Yeah, 100%. That's where, you know, when you're in baseball, when you're a sporting event, you have a very established mechanism for charging time, an admission fee with a ticket. But other businesses, ought to, here's the most provocative question that we think asked in the book. What would you do differently if you charge admission? <laughs> Talk about being creative. You will come up with ideas that you would not otherwise come up with. You assume the people spend time for free. So even if you don't charge, right, you'll come up with stuff that you might just do add more value for the same price. But you use that question, you might come up with stuff and say, you know what, we could charge for that. Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, just the walking in the door. Hey, you're walking in our door right now. If you had to pay a cover charge, what would it be? And I, I think that's because you have to do something worth paying that cover charge. Yes, it, it's not the product, it's the experience. Right, that cover charge to be good off of any merchandise, by the way. They don't have stores. Like Sharper Image and Brookstone, they used to have retail stores. They're hard to have, they're all online business because you'd walk in, love playing with all this stuff. Never bought anything. 100%. Five bucks to get in and it was good, five dollars off any merchandise. Hundred <laughs> percent. maybe experiment one location that, because you do some other things experientially. These stores, they're not playing the, the toys, the games. <laughs> you know, let's have a contest. You know, I went to a toy store once, bought hundreds of dollars worth of toys because I was using them at, a, at an event. I, I said to the worker, you know, I bet this is the most toys you've sold this week. He says, dude, this is the most toys I've sold to one person ever. <laughs> business to business purchases. That got me thinking. In fact, there's this one game that's out. He said, you know, what's this about? He goes, no, no, no. He goes, I'm real good at it. Nobody can beat me. I'm like, where's the, if you can beat Chad, you get the game for free. <laughs> you know? Again, you got to devote some time and some intentionality. I also told me just change five things. Don't do everything. At the start, you talk about how do you start. Sometimes you can change something as few as five things that makes a world of difference. Would that be a quick win? Like if you were to give, I always, I'm yeah. so fascinated, like a quick win to say, all right, change five things. How does someone decide which, like what would be the way they could say, all right, this is going to be my quick win. Today, I'm listening to this and I'm going to go back and start the experience. Well, I like people coming up with their own criteria, but I'll just think out loud about, you know, how about easy to implement, you know, low hanging fruit, easy to implement, things that we think we get buy-in for, things that we're neglecting. You know, these are all prompts. Things that we know customers don't like the current way we're doing it. How about this one? Things that are costly right now. Maybe we can do them differently to be both a better experience and like not do something. <laughs> that saves us money. Maybe the experience can replace something we're giving to everybody that costs us money. 
again, don't be afraid of the obvious. I really like the neglected. What's some, just look at, get a list of the physical things that are in your business. Get a list of the different activities you do. Identify first and say, which of these would be easy to do? Like, what are we treating mundanely? And just, sometimes just reviewing the list alone will trigger ideas like, oh, I know what we could do with that. Or I said, do that once differently. I love this so much. I think this is so applicable. And I'll tell you what keeps me up at night though, Jim, is paranoia of staying relevant. And you talk about this in the book. You talk about the wear out factor. And how, been, you know, there, the, been there, done that. Been yeah, there, the, done that. The Planet Hollywoods, the Rainforest Cafes. Right. What would you tell, I mean, whether it's a sports team like us, Top Golf, which is really popular right now, some companies mm-hmm. that are thriving, what would you tell them to how they get over the wear out factor? Well, you have to refresh, right? There are places where people go where they want to be the same every time. A good British pub. Don't change a thing or I'll hate it. You know, Beachland Ballroom where I go for my alternative music in Cleveland. Don't change a thing. You know, I'm going for the cracked Naga hide stools. Um, but generally you have to refresh. And you can get there multiple ways. A lot of times people are spending time with you and you're not learning about their uniqueness. So the way to refresh is to customize. Recognize that every time you interact with a customer, both parties have an opportunity to learn. And eventually somebody changes their behavior. Most often it's the customer realizes you don't do, you don't offer X, so they're going to stop asking for X. So if you can sense and respond, we have three plus chapters in the experience economy on customization. This thing I'm speaking about right now is what we call sacrifice. Customers are not getting what they want exactly. So if every time or every so many interactions, you're able to do something uniquely differently for a particular customer, then it's automatically refreshed. Does your place tell a story over time? One of the nice things you have about baseball, no two games in the history of baseball have ever been the same, period. <laughs> it's inherently refreshable, refreshed. Other businesses got to think about, you know, let's do things differently, which might be, yeah, let's, let's make sure, let's, let's everybody today just ask people uh, if they have a dog. No reason for that. Like, well, you do have to, like, why that? Well, you know, I know we were talking about dog names here this morning. Yeah, I don't know, right? It's just different. <laughs> sometimes different, sometimes random and different alone is enough to differentiate from the humdrum, same old way everybody does it. Now, if you think more richly and not rely upon random things and just different for the sake of different, all the better. Uh, you're speaking so much my language right now, Jim. I mean, the, the show is business done differently. That's everything we believe in. And every I think, day's different. Every, well, there's, the, there's, the, there's the video by, uh, there's the video by Steve Jobs. People should go watch it. Every day's the first day. Yeah. Yes. That, yeah. That, inher- that alone would be refreshing. If you just come in, not do it the same way you did yesterday. And by the way, Customers will feel that. I love it. I love it. Right. Hey, I'm going you know, to meet some new people today in the store. I'm, gonna, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> you know, Jim, we're running low on time now, and I've been, I've been grilling you. So I'm going to flip the script a little bit right now. All right. Sure. You, you are now the host of Business Done Differently. You can ask me one question, and we'll finish oh. with the rapid fire. Oh, that's really good. What is the one thing in your business that you do, particular technique thing, that you think is most relatable to any business, not just baseball, not just a sports franchise, but what key technique do you think is like immediately your listeners could go do? What's the number one thing on your hit parade? Well, I, I think do a lot of amazing things. <laughs> well, obviously we, we map the whole experience and we look at every piece from the videos we send, the thank you calls. To but what's your, here's, the, here's the question. What do you think your signature moment is? I guess is what I'm asking. Ah, the signature moment. Here's the one thing. It all started with the dancing players. So when we started 10, 15 years ago with our first team, you'd come and see our players do a full choreographed dance. That turned into our break dancing first baseball. Wow. 
then our banana nanas, our senior citizen dance team, then to our man nanas, our male cheerleading team. It started with the player dancing because no one's ever seen that before, and now it's turned into a whole theatrical act. Well, I like that. I got to tell you, it reminds me of uh, actually a prison ministry called Kairos where they go in and get the most hardened prisoners to buy into the program, the whole culture, the entire prison. Yes. You go to the players, that's the toughest sell you possibly ever had. Yes. Any other work, hey, well, the players are doing it. Yes. You're probably not even going to come to Bananas to work because the players dance. They're gonna, you'll get self-selection of who even bothers to come to you. 100%. You started with them, and that was tough. Yeah. As many people know, my listeners, it was a challenge. It started with them, and then now they started doing music videos and lip-syncing and doing all the, the crazy things, and it started with them. So now the whole staff, of course, players are in it. That's, that's a great observation on your part, but that's where it started. Well, I like that saying, start with the kingpin, right, the linchpin. Tackle one of your hardest buy-ins first and the rest will follow might be the lesson we take away from that. I love that. I love it. And one thing too, this is what goes both ways. We all say, what's your starting point? So for us, it's our PFT. What is your perfect fan testimonial? If you, your company could have only one Google review, what would yeah. you want people to say what, about what, it? What do you want it to say? Yes. That's like, what do you want on your tombstone? Exactly. Having some Perfect. aspiration, some purpose. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So we were reverse engineer from there. So for us, it's, uh, it's the most fun I've ever had at a baseball game. It was like a circus and a baseball game broke out. And we reverse engineer the experience based on that. And people now that's actually really say that in the reviews. So that's the two points there. All right. I want to finish here. Quick rapid fire. Okay. Question time. What are the okay. best questions you're asking these days? You know, if you want better answers in business, you got to ask better questions. What are some good questions that you're asking that are getting in good insight? Well, I always like what's the last thing you read, but I also like what are you surprised people don't ask you? Mm, I love it. Okay, what's the most tool time? What's the most important tool in your business toolbox? The lateral thinking techniques of Ever DeBono. Age of YouTube, just go on and check out DeBono. Get his book, Lateral Thinking. To me, everybody talks about being creative, but his lateral thinking techniques, cognitive, serious, and it's, it's an alternative to brainstorming. I love it. All right. What's one thing that you've done uh, that's different to stand out in business? It's a neglected thing. Handwritten thank you note. Yeah, here's one. Handwritten thank you note, particularly for a recurring client where I have to write another thank you note each year. I enclose a small, try to enclose a gift. I have the whole year for this one client. I do a thing every year for them. And the whole year thinking about what can I buy that's not extravagant, but thoughtful. Mm. Thoughtfulness. A thank you note itself is inherently thoughtful to take the time to write by hand. But then to have an enclosure, I had to learn by the way. I didn't used to write thank you notes, but my co-author Joe Pine taught me to, to do it. In fact, I used to get reminded every month to write thank you notes to people until I developed it as, as a habit. It's so powerful. It's so powerful. All right. You mentioned it before about the tombstone, kind of like we're saying PFT. This is going that, that deep, but how do you want to be remembered? Well, that's good. I might go Jeffersonian just by uh, three words. Christian, thinker, giving. Might be go just three words kind of thing. I love it. Keeping it simple. Jim, I cannot thank you enough for this. I, I'm looking at my paper right now and I've taken notes all the way through because it is so important what you're providing. That's why for 20 years plus, it's, it's resonated with so many people. And I'm thrilled to get to know you and uh, excited to hopefully have you down here in Savannah. But just thank you so much for everything that you've shared. And where can people find out more about you and the work that you're putting out? Uh, well, you know, uh, the experience economy is where they ought to start. Hop on uh, their favorite online bookseller. <laughs> what is it there? Start there. If you've already read it, reread it. I think that I like to talk about the new preface is a great new window to which to revisit what is absolutely enduring content. If you're a new reader, get the book. I guarantee, I guarantee every single chapter you'll pick up something that'll help your business. It's outstanding. Jim, thank you again for being on the show. You're most welcome. Thanks for having me again. Thanks for listening to Business Done Differently, where we believe whatever's normal, do the exact opposite. And that standing out is the best way to grow your business. 
For more information about the guest and topics covered on this episode, visit findyouryellowtux.com or shoot me a note at jesse at findyouryellowtux.com. Until next time, stop standing still, start standing out.